Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. Earlier this year, we had our first podcast guest, and that was Paul Honeywell, our chairman. You probably remember he told the story about Jackie Stewart oh, in yes. the pits. Yes, I remember and that one well. We actually had some good uh, feedback about that story as well, people in- using it in a business context. Yes, it's a good one. Well, that story was told to him by Sir Charles Macefield, who's one of Paul's business colleagues. And I was recently in London and I took the opportunity to catch up with Sir Charles. And by the way, that's the last time I get to call him Sir Charles because he very quickly corrected me and said, Mark, it's just Charles. Right. He is a very interesting chap. He started his career as a test pilot for BAE Systems and he went through the ranks and he eventually became president of BAE Systems. Is that right? So he's had a wonderful career. He's a very interesting guy and he shared with me that when he told his wife he was going to be interviewed for a podcast and the purpose was to collect a story or two from him, his wife's response was, poor Mark. <laughs> I suspect just, you know, just hearing some of the things, you know, the, the story, and whatever, he probably has a few in his back pocket. He requires almost no prompting. Just a few words and he is off and another story. So it's very interesting to see a leader who thinks in stories. Really? He thinks wow. in stories and he has an example to, to make pretty much every point. Interesting. Did you by any chance ask him about how he developed that? I mean, I always wonder, you know, with leaders, you see some leaders who do have that uh, real sense of be able to share an example to make a point, right? Well, so Ch- Charles, sorry, he did make the point that he has been doing it for a long, long time, for as long as he can remember. Really? Because I do one, you know, especially with that side of things, whether they've learned it in their family, that was just part of the family culture or whatever. But anyway, that's that's interesting. So, so he's, got, he's got a story for us, he, right? He does. Uh, I took the opportunity to record him telling a number of stories, and uh, here's one that he shared with us that I thought was particularly good. So here's Sir Charles. In my very early career in management, on the way up, they used to give young managers who who thought they could do the job, who probably couldn't, and certainly in my case, I I, I couldn't. And there was a a disastrous factory in BA Systems called Chatterton. It was in the north of England. And it had poor industrial relations. It had union problems. uh, It was unprofitable. And it was the factory that BA Systems were planning on closing. But, and it had ruined one or two careers of general managers who'd been put in there. So my, my heart fell when I was told, we'd like you to go and, and run Chatterton for a bit. I thought, this is the end of, of my career. Anyway, I went in full of, of enthusiasm and determination to succeed where others had failed. And I'd been reading a lot about productivity and how the Japanese in those days were leading the world and how they did it. And they did it by something called quality circles, where once a day, only for 10 minutes, people down-tooled in little groups of eight, and they sat around and discussed the, the job, the problems, and how it could be done better and with more quality or faster. And uh, then it broke up and they did the same again the next day, the next day. And it worked, apparently, in Japan. So I thought, this is, this is how I'm going to try and turn this factory around. Uh, quality circles, that's the thing. So I got in the union conveners and talked about this. And they said, uh, that won't here work here, mate. 
Yeah, no, no chance. And I said, well, we haven't tried it. We have to try it. If it works elsewhere, we'll try it. So they went out uh, a bit miserable. And anyway, I announced we were going to start these quality circles, and we duly did, right across the factory. And it was uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 past 10. And, and they could have a cup of tea while they're doing it. So they sat around, ate a cup, drank a cup of tea, talked. I walked around the factory the first day, and there they were. They'd put up dart boards, throwing darts at the board, smoking, chatting, a couple of people at a time. Uh, absolute disaster. And I persevered for a whole week, and it was just failing. Uh, all I was doing is, is losing the teams and breaking up the work schedule and so on. It so happened there was a conference over at Chester, which was a coach driver way. So I said to all the union people, right, we're going to this conference. So I've hired a, a bus and we're going, and I want you just to listen, because this is a conference on how to introduce quality circles. We went to that conference and the team, my team, sat in the front and I sat at the back. And it was the most embarrassing experience of my life because the speaker stood up on the stage and every now and then, one of my team interrupted him and said, that's never going to work here, not in the UK, mate. And I cowered down in my seat, I shrunk, and people around listening were saying, oh, these BAE systems people, they're a disaster. And someone I was sitting next to said to me, and who do you work for? So I said, uh, Cadbury's Chocolate. <laughs> and anyway, I after the conference, which unfortunately, sadly, and I'm ashamed to say, we totally destroyed. We got into the coach and I sat in the front, uh, pretty miserable. And after about 20 minutes, we drove past a pub, a good old English pub. So I said to the driver, stop here. We're going to the car park. And I stood up in front of the coach and said to the team, okay, guys, you win. We're not going to pursue quality circles. I get it. Now I'm going to go into the pub and I'll buy you all a drink. So we went into the pub and I asked everyone what they wanted and it was normally beer. And then I started chatting to one or two people as we were standing around drinking beer. And I said, what, what, what happened? What was, why am I failing? He said, because you're trying to tell us to do something we don't want to do and we know won't work. Why didn't you ask us? And I said, well, we do ask you. We've got a suggestion scheme. If anyone has a good idea, write it down on a bit of paper, put it in the box, and if we accept that, that person gets a prize. We're asking you. That's the system where we ask you. And he said, that's ridiculous. Do you know how much the prize is? It's five pounds, which I suppose in Australian dollars is about eight, eight dollars. He said, there's no point in us giving you good ideas and getting $8 in return. Ah, it's useless. So I got my management team together and I said, look, what do we do with these suggestions? How do we know whether we're going to implement them or turn them down? The answer was, we do some arithmetic and see if we implemented them. It always costs a bit to make a change. What would it save us over the year? And if it's going to save us any significant amount during the course of the year, then we implement it. I said, well, that sounds fine. But then we give them five pounds. 
that's not going to encourage uh, them to give us suggestions. What happens if we would give them work out what 10% of that saving is over the first year? They said, you can't do that. That would be a big amount of money. And I said, you don't get it, do you? If we give them 10% of the savings, we keep 90%. And the next year, we keep 100%. Surely that's worth 10% if it's a bit of money. And so they agreed. They hadn't really thought it through. So I said, okay, in future, we will give 10% of any savings. And the first one we implement, I want to make a bit of a thing about it, pull people together and hand over this money visibly because it's what people see and touch that really matters. So about three or four weeks later, they said, uh, we, we've got a good one. Someone came up with the idea of putting lanolin on a stretch form block. When you form a fuselage, you have to stretch the aluminium over a block, a circular block, so that it goes into this round shape of the fuselage. And this fitter in stretch form had realized that this scratched, because the block was made of concrete, this scratched the metal. So the next department down the line was called the polishing department, where about three or four people polished all these, these scratches out of the aluminium. And this person had said, look, if we stretch lanolin, rubberized sheet over the block, very simple idea, it won't scratch, and therefore it won't need polishing. So I said, brilliant, brilliant. How much, how much do we owe that person? And it was going to be 10%. The saving to us over the first year was going to be £160,000, 10% of which was £16,000, which in those days, you could buy a house for £8,000. Huge amount. So one of these people could buy a house, buy a better house themselves, and buy a house for their son at the same time. So I thought, perfect, this is the one. And uh, we called together the team in the stretch form department, which was about 20 people. And Ken was the name of the guy who had invented this. So I stood up in front of them and I said, uh, Ken, you put in this wonderful suggestion of a lanolin rubberized sheet over our concrete stretch form block. We're going to accept that. And you're going to get, as promised, 10% of our savings in the first year. And this guy, Ken, shuffled forward with a slightly embarrassed smirk on his face, waiting to see what he got. And I took out of my pocket this check and held it up in front of the 20 people and said, I'm now going to give Ken a check for £16,000. You could have heard a pin drop. Absolutely. Ken immediately burst into tears and was almost inconsolable because this was going to change his whole life and the life of his family but we were still going to get 90% of the thing. So after he'd calmed down and everyone had clapped and handed in the cheque, everyone went away. Ken stayed behind. He came up to me and he said, uh, Charles, because although it was 3,000 people at this factory, I insisted everyone called me Charles. And when I go back there, by the way, uh, 30 years later, I'm still Charles. Anyway, uh, Ken said, is this really mine? I can keep it. Uh, whatever happens now. I said, it's yours, Ken, it's yours, I've given it to you. Done. He said, it wasn't my suggestion. And I thought, oh no. 
this is this is a total disaster. I've given the cheque to the wrong person. Whose suggestion was it, Ken? And he said, well, I went to the library about five or six days ago and I looked at books about stretch forming and I discovered that Lockheed Martin in the States have been using lanolin on their stretch form blocks for about eight years. And it wasn't my idea. I pinched the idea from Lockheed Martin. It's in, it's in publications. And I said, Ken, not only am I not going to take the check back, I wish I'd given you more. Because for a fitter in our stretch form department to take the trouble to go to the library in his time off to learn more about stretch forming and who are the leaders in the world in it, it's not patented, that, uh, that is the sort of thing that turns factories from failures into success. That story spread throughout the factory like wildfire. The suggestions came pouring in uh, for big improvements in the factory. Every time we paid out 10% and we kept 90%. That turned the factory around from being the BAE system's worst of 16 factories, bottom of the league in terms of productivity, bottom of the league in terms of industrial relations, and stoppages, top of the league in terms of profit, and it became the star of BAE, and it really was responsible for launching me on my career. And the moral I've taken from that is, if you're managing, it's quite often better to ask people their views rather than telling them what they should be doing when you don't really understand the problem. And so for the rest of my life, I've always believed in asking. Wow, That's, that was amazing, <laughs> right? What a great story. Yeah. Um, look, there's a couple of things that... Uh, let's, let's chat first of all about what we liked about that story. Probably a lot to chat about. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, the first thing that springs to mind for me is that I mean, it's told from his perspective. It's He's had that experience. I really got that sense that he was reliving that whole time and, and what actually happened, right? So what were some of the things that gave you that indication? Well, it was just how he uh, was able to recall some of that detail. Like, there was some lovely detail there, like when he was talking about Ken, you know, walking up to get his uh, prize and, you know, he was shuffling there with that sort of nervous... Slightly embarrassed. Embarrassed look on his face, yeah. right? You know, it's just those sort of things that you think, that guy, uh, Charles, is actually reliving that moment. Yeah, and the details he was able to recall. So the aluminium stretch form block made from concrete covered with lanolin. The next was the polishing. Just being able to recall all those details adds uh, interest, but also a lot of believability. Yes, yeah. So that certainly what jumped out at me is one of the things I, I loved about it. Well, one of the things I loved about it, that, that, that it was like a movie. It was like a roller coaster. Ups and downs and twists and turns right to the end. Yes. You didn't know what was going to happen. There was a lot of self-deprecation too, wasn't there? Um, you know, there was always bad things happening to Charles along the way. Like he was not a winner really until the very end. And, and in some ways... I hate to say this, but, you know, it's sort of a bit like a hero's journey, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, yeah, I, 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 a bridge too far there. Yeah, I know. I don't want to support that idea too much. But, yeah, but so I do, it's very self-effacing. Like yeah, the self-deprecation, I think, is great. and uh, It shows humility. 
Indeed, indeed. And uh, I think there's some great moments in that story. You know, for example, um, there's the moment of, you know, the first failure, the, the moment... Oh, actually, one of the moments that stood out for me is when he's in the conference and it's all going to, you know... <laughs> Hell in the hand, <laughs> and someone says, "So, so, where do you work?" You know, uh, Cadbury's chocolate. Cadbury's, Cadbury's chocolate. <laughs> I mean, I think that was just. A, I guess that's the humour that's brought into some of the story as well, isn't it? That's right, and I liked that there were a bunch of moments in that, and that's one of them. Yes, one of them for me was his reaction when he was told that he was going to be taking over the factory at Chatterton. Yes. Oh no! This is the end of my career. Indeed. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think the other moment, which is a nice one, is where um, they're coming back from the conference. They pull over to the pub. He stands in front of everyone at the bus and he sort of says, okay, guys, you win. Let's just go and have a beer. And, you know, that's that's a nice moment because it's that's the, the real turning point of the story, right? Indeed. And I, we'll talk about this when we talk about how to use it in a business sense, but that was the moment where he actually became approachable. And in the process of doing that, that was the that was the turning point. Yeah, that's where you learnt the lesson, right? So, so there's some lovely ups and downs. I, I think the um, the fact that there's one like turning, what what would you call it? Sort of reversal happened right at the end, where you know just where he's given the the check, and King comes after up to him and says, essentially. Hey, it wasn't my idea, right? And you can feel that Charles would have just absolutely sunk. Like he thought he'd actually nailed it. And at that point he's going, oh my God, maybe this whole thing's been the biggest disaster ever. Yeah, I like that one as well. It's beautiful. Uh, another moment that I really liked that I think was a, a important for the story was when he decided on the 10%. They were in the meeting and he asked the managers what happens and they said, well, we give them... You know, we, we work out how much it is, and then we give them five pounds. And he said, well, what if you give them 10%? And that my mind exploded with possibility, with future possibilities for where the story could go from that. That's, that's true. And in fact, that was where I had my biggest response to the story, actually. I was like, I just went, oh my God, this could, these guys could be making a fortune out of this. And then I thought, that can't be true. That, that must be a, uh, you know, some sort of uh, hitch that's going to happen because there's no way they're going to give away a big amount of money. You know, that was the thinking that was going through my head. And, but lo and behold, they, they you know, sort of went through on it, which was fantastic, right? Exactly. He followed through. But of course, the logic is impeccable. We take 90% of the savings in the first year and we take 100% in the second year. The economics stack up. Exactly, exactly. But of course, you need to look at it in that way, in, a, in quite a pragmatic way. The other thing I liked about it is that the managers were going, oh, you can't do that. And he went, well, actually, you can. Yeah. <laughs> and he we're did. Gonna, and we're going to be ahead. That's right. Yeah. So there's many things that, that really make that story a good one and that, that we like about it. One of the things that I also liked about it, he's a very good speaker. I really liked his voice. No ums and arms. <laughs> no ums and ahs, just told the story. Yes. Yeah, it's a good talent to have, that's for sure. So what do you reckon, Mark? Where would you use this story? Well, could I just... I think there's some opportunities yeah. with this story. There's some, some opportunities to make it even better. Not many. Right. But one of them is, if, if I was thinking about application in business, how to make it a bit shorter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, this is almost told almost as a... A story you could tell almost as an entertainment, really, right? 
So it could work it, in that way. That's right. So making it shorter could actually um, help make a point faster. You now, might lose some of the feeling in, in that story, though, by yeah. shortening it. I agree. Some of those fabulous details would be lost. And I'm not advocating that it needs to be shortened. I'm just saying there are some business circumstances where having it as a shorter telling would yeah, be would much work more... work for you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So... Now, uh, how would we use it in a business context? Yeah, look, I think the first thing that springs to mind for me is that you're, if you're mentoring or, or helping a group of leaders, you know, it's so easy for leaders to take that view uh, of, hey, I'm, I'm the leader, therefore I need to work everything out and I'm just going to tell people. You know, it's, a, it's a great lesson, isn't it, to sort of say, no, 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 hold on there, guys. You know, this is an opportunity for you to actually, you know, I've learned this lesson, I learned it the hard way, and this is this is what it's like. The transition from tell to ask and listen. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the whole um, going to the pub was so important because it changed the sort of status of everyone who walked into that into that pub. You know, they before they walk into that pub, there's a real strict hierarchy. When they walk into the pub, you're just a bunch of people who are drinking beers together, right? And that's, of course, when the conversation, different conversation could happen. Right? And, of course, that is the major turning point of the story. Yeah. And there is a stark contrast there because Charles goes from standing at the front of the bus as the boss saying, I've decided we're, well, firstly, <laughs> I give up. Yeah, we're not going to do quality circles, but... But he's still in. He's still in charge. I've decided we're going to go to the pub, yes. etc. Et yeah, cetera. yeah, that's right. right? So, yeah. and but that that moment when he's having a beer, standing man to man, peer to peer, person to person, human to human. Actually, I had a. Um, it reminds me. Uh, years ago, I did a project for the Defence Department, and I was working for a, a guy called Air Vice Marshal Peter Nicholson. And Pete Nick. Yep, and I know you used to work with uh, Peter Nicholson, and. I noticed he changed his way of uh, operating depending on where he was. So if he was in his office, it was the total formal, you know, back and forwards between him and his subordinates, and they were definitely subordinates. And But then when he moved to the kitchen, which was just like you know, three rooms down the hallway, uh, he was the same as everyone else. Whoever was the first person to get their brew was the first person to get their brew. It didn't matter who you were right, and what things you had on your shoulders, right? And when I mentioned this to him, that it was very formal in his office, he just looked at me and said, Sean, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but he was a guy who really understood, yeah. you know, and I think this is what uh, uh, Charles is sort of saying too, is that you've got to use these um, you know, physical spaces to actually be able to do different things. So one of the other things that I liked about that was the importance of humility. So it, so how you could use that in business is just to demonstrate that being having some humility gives you access to yes, new insights. Exactly, yeah, we can learn things. Yeah. Well, okay, so one more, yeah. one more. I really like the use of this story to make the point about incremental change versus step change. He was running the worst factory in BAE systems. Yes. By a whole bunch of measures. Incrementalism wasn't going to help him much. So by making this big decision and taking the decision to introduce the 10%, he reaped a big reward. Yeah, it was a, it was a big bet, wasn't it? Yeah. They took that big bet. Now, it could have so, gone nowhere, mind you. It's, I mean, it's just one of these things. People might think that, oh, you know, if I put in a 
you know, a reward system, you know, based on, uh, you know, suggestions and a suggestion box with a template. It doesn't mean that's going to work. It'd be the wrong takeaway to think you can just take the same initiative and just plonk it in another place and expect it to work. There's so many cultural issues at play here, isn't there? That's right. So it's it's not the initiative, it's the lesson. Yeah, yeah well, it's, yeah, it's the approach, etc. Great. Okay, so uh, we've talked about what we like. We talked about how to use it. Any other places where we might be able to use it? Or demonstrating risk versus reward. Yeah, okay. So so there's a few good places to, to use it. I guess, the, um, I guess the question we have to answer now is a bit of a rating. We should do ratings. Yes. Indeed. And, and I'm conscious that, that Sir Charles will be listening to this podcast now and uh, just thought he about might it. be thinking, uh, <laughs> what are these boys going to uh, give me as a rating for this? Well, you shouldn't have said that before you know, affect my rating uh, <laughs> system now. Well, I'm doing it I already, I already had a rating in my mind, actually, before I said it. So, uh, But what are you, you going to give it? I'm going to give it an eight. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it, and I can see that it's a very useful story that you can use in a whole bunch of business circumstances. It was beautifully told. Yeah, look, I was going to give it. A, I'm giving it a nine. Whoa! I know I don't give many nines, but because um, I can imagine me sort of saying um, uh, that this is the experience of you know the, the president of BAE Systems when he was a young man, when he was a young fellow, and and he had his first big challenge, and then I can tell that story and and make the connection, you know, in terms of how it we connected to Charles, etc. And it's a, it's a good story with a lot of meat in it. I'm very interested now in stories in which you can tell and then get a conversation around, right? Because that's the sort of story that make has meaning for people. And if you ask the question, how could we do something like that around here? Exactly. You know, great- or, or even just asking things like, so what do you find interesting or what do you find surprising or you know, what are the lessons? Any of those sort of things where you get people just to have a conversation about it, that's where it deepens you know, the understanding and... and Hopefully that will inspire action. It's a good one to finish up on for the week. It's a Friday for us. Yeah, thanks again for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And we really welcome your comments and and thoughts. And and if you've got examples that you want to share, please pop them in the podcast uh, page there that we've got. And yeah, tune in next week where we've got another episode on how to put your stories to work.